Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Yumiko. Your favorite dancewear brand has just launched leg warmers, and we can't wait for you to try them. Their leg warmer collection is created with a lightweight layer of the softest Italian merino wool designed to warm up your muscles without adding any of that extra bulk. This ultra fine knit gauge highlights the natural contours of your leg and comes in two colors to perfectly match to your leotards. Be sure to click over to yumiko.com to explore all of the world-class dancewear that they have to offer. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by choreographer Arthur Pita. Pita graduated with a master's degree from London Contemporary Dance School and has choreographed internationally in many different formats, including works for opera, musical theater, plays, and film. He has garnered attention for his imaginative and personal reinterpretations of classic narratives like Kafka's Metamorphosis and Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. This week at the Joyce Theatre in New York City, his interpretation of Roland Tuper's The Tenant will premiere with American Ballet Theatre principal James Whiteside as the lead. This episode was recorded back in April 2018 when we were at San Francisco Ballet for their Unbound Festival, in which Arthur was one of the 12 choreographers who created new work. This episode is brought to you by San Francisco Ballet. Arthur, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy rehearsal day um, to come join us. <laughs> um, and uh, let's just start right at the beginning. What was okay. your what was your initial um, exposure to dance? When did you become interested in, in dance? I became interested in dance um, when I, probably when I first saw Greece. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was, uh, and I've told the story before, but it is really the truth. It, it was John Travolta in Greece. <laughs> and I think it was probably uh, Greece Lightning, to be specific, that I was obsessed with. And um, and it, it was just it, something just connected with me about moving like that. And there was like an attitude about the way he moved in that number. And uh, so I would go and, um, you know, cut my t-shirts uh to cap sleeve them and you know water my hair back and then i had to keep it wet you know so I go back <laughs> and uh, i just wanted to be i just wanted to be like john travolta so it really started with that and then and then there were we got a leaflet through the post about um 
disco dancing lessons that were happening at a local school and Latin American dancing. And my sisters wanted to go and I was like, yes, absolutely. And then once I started with that, it was the point of no return. Yeah. Yeah. So what dance styles did you explore during that time when, during your training? So I did, I started off with disco dancing Mm -hmm. and then I did Latin American with my sister Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, so I did that for a long time. Uh, and then I got to the age of about 14. I went to high school and I really hated my high school. It was quite a rough school. And a friend of mine was going to something called the Art Ballet Drama and Music School. And she was going to be a drama student. And I was going, well, maybe I should do ballet because it'll be like a way of getting out of mm-hmm. this rough school. Right. And I was still doing my, my, it was then called freestyle dance and it evolved from mm-hmm. disco dancing to called freestyle <laughs> dance. <laughs> And so I went and I auditioned and I was all over the place, but they needed boys. So they were like, you can come join us. And I mean, I didn't really connect so much to the ballet because the teachers were so harsh. But um, but I had the most amazing contemporary dance teacher um, who was so uh, encouraging and so fantastic and a great flamenco teacher. Mm-hmm. So I think that those two forms really sort of stuck with me but I knew that you needed the technique of the ballet so then I, I started working really hard at that uh, and but I, I didn't want to go to a ballet company and do that I really wanted to explore contemporary dance and so that's how it really evolved so then I went and studied um, finished high school had like a year off and then I went to um, London Contemporary Dance School and became a full time student yeah. When did you become interested in choreography? Since forever, really. Yeah. I mean, I think I was always doing something as a child. It started off with the, with the Hocus Pocus set. Did you get that here? Hocus Pocus? Oh, yeah. Super. So I wanted to be a magician initially. And so I had a Hocus Pocus set and I would get, um, and um, so we lived like, our cousins lived with us, so we were like eight kids in the house. Wow. So I got everyone involved, and we I would do shows for the family, you know, and I'd have like, I would like, there were all the tricks of people hidden to like make all the magic work. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was always doing that or d- dressing one of my cousins up in something and creating like a little number or a little dance. I think I was always putting on a show somehow. Right. And uh, and then once I really, it was when I was at high school with that amazing contemporary dance teacher, Sonia Mayo, uh, when I saw, a, she choreographed a piece to um, Laurie Anderson music. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd never heard Laurie Anderson and I'd never seen this kind of like a minimalist, like sort of conceptual thing going on with human bodies on stage. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, my jaw just, dropped and i was like what is that like that is amazing and i was just like obs- i couldn't and i was like oh right it's a whole art form it's a whole thing right and i uh and and i was like that's that's what i want to do that's what i want to you know become obsessed with right and then uh that was probably like in the early like the mid 80s and then i can't remember when it was i think it might have been like 1989 even there was a, a documentary on South African TV mm. about Sylvie Guillaume and there was a clip with Sylvie Guillaume doing in the middle somewhat elevated with William Forsyth. Seen it a hundred thousand times. That's so brilliant. Thing, right? Yeah. And so that was on TV. So that that's when my jaw that's when I was just really, really I was like, this is beyond because then I understood what, what you could do with ballet. Because right. that was breaking all the rules. Right. 
And I was just, I don't know how many times I watched that. And I quite—I didn't quite know if I wanted to be Silver Gim or if I wanted to be William Forsyth. Mm. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was One of the two. <laughs> One of the two. So I was like working really hard in ballet class to right. get my legs Maybe high I'll be Sylvie. <laughs> and then I was like, but I really would love to be, wouldn't it be amazing to be responsible for something like, mm. you know, it was like yeah. take on that responsibility. Like you made that and it's like just out there. And uh, and then that's really when I knew that I that I really had to get out of South Africa to see the world and to be in in a in a prime city to mm-hmm. to be influenced and to be absorbed right. by everything. So I would say even till this day, even to this day, that 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 piece I think was the thing that really mm-hmm. uh, got me, you know, wanting to to choreograph. Right. I mean, you wouldn't. If you look closely at the work, people might not say it, but it is there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, already I'm, you're just, your interests are so diverse or your influences have been so diverse. Do you think that all those little pieces make their way into your work or not in a way that we definitely, can see? Definitely. Yeah. I think you'll absolutely, if you, because I, so, I can see it, if I look back, well, when I'm making a piece, I don't go, oh, I'm going to add in that right, right, silver right. gear moment. <laughs> but um, much later, I look back and I go, oh, there it is yeah. a little bit. Oh, and there's that little... John Travolta moment and there's that little hint of that and you know it all starts to you know I think that just comes out of your subconscious in a very very deep way there'll be tiny dustings of stuff everywhere so what were some of your um, more formal initial choreographic works like um one of the first things I did as a student, um, I had I had quite a tough time as a student being South African because people were quite confused uh, just by if what I was because I'm Portuguese and I'm olive skinned and they were like, so in South Africa, are you black or are you white or are you mixed red? Like, mm. how are you like, basically what sort of life do you do? And I was like, we are a Caucasian family and my, you know, uh, and we have had a white privileged background. So that was already difficult because people, you know, students were being very political. Mm. So they kind of like ousts me as a kind of a, a white South African that they thought might have been racist. Mm. And it was quite difficult for me. And actually, it was v- very interesting because my first friends uh, at, at college at, at London Contemporary Dance School were like the black students. Mm. So mm. it was all sort of like, you know, um, quite a controversial time for me mm. so one of the first things i had to do was i had to make a piece to make a statement about what i felt about south africa politically mm. so um so i choreographed a piece and there was one dancer who was also um, a rapper john zd who he now does amazing stuff for the whole hip-hop dance scene he does something called the breaking convention which goes all over the world so he was a student with me and so I, we made, so he did like a rap <laughs> and somebody else was drumming and the dancers were, so I choreographed this piece with various pieces of African music and it was very student and very political mm-hmm. and very out there. And it was basically, tell, you know, just kind of saying to students that this is the rise of anti-apartheid basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, because I had to let the students know that I, mm. that I wasn't racist and that I did have political views. Mm. And I think that's sort of what put me on the map a little bit as a student. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm going to say that's yeah. pretty ambitious. I love that you were like, this is very student-y piece. Yeah, yeah. My student-y piece would have been like, let's just rip off four T's and call it <laughs> yeah. a day. Yeah. But that's so <laughs> yeah, yeah. bold of you to... Yeah, to... I feel like I had to. It was a, And then, because that was the way the power is, where mm-hmm. you can say something right. on stage. So then I, So then I started enjoying what what that was mm-hmm. and how to, and how to say it you know uh yeah and then it all started 
evolving mm-hmm. from there. So what were your next steps for you after being a student? What did you go on to do next? Well, I clearly, I was a bit confused. I was like, oh, do I want to choreograph straight away or do I want to perform and see the world? Mm-hmm. And I just, I'd, I'd been in an opera um, at the English National Opera of the, of the Fairy Queen and I played the Indian boy. And I absolutely loved that because I went straight into like a very glamorous job. Mm-hmm. And I was like a principal in the opera. So, because it was a proper character. So, and I was like hanging out with like the diva, Yvonne Kenny. And that was just like fantastic. <laughs> so I was like, this is good because I was like on stage and I was just, I was absorbing the audience and I was going, this is actually good. Like, you know, I was, and I was like, going to make pieces all, all the time. Mm-hmm. But I thought, let me just keep performing and creating work. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, um, so I did a little bit of that scene and fringe stuff and all, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I joined, uh, Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, which was great because I had just done a fringe job, I think, where there were like two people in the audience oh. and one of them was asleep and we were like, <laughs> we were doing some kind of abstract thing that no one was like understanding. And I was just really quite depressed about it all. Yeah. And then when I saw Swan Lake, there was like a full house mm-hmm. and people like loving it and, and it was a contemporary dance piece. So I was mm-hmm. like, that's for me. So, uh, so I went and joined, um, the company and then also ended up being partners with Matthew, uh, from that. So we've been together now like 21 years. Wow. Yeah. Which is Beautiful. incredible. It was incredible. Um, but I must say, so when I was with the company, um, it was, I did like seven years with the company. So I did like, uh, Swan Lake, Nutcracker, Cinderella, The Carman, uh, Spitfire. And, um, it was, it was great because I was, I was on big, in big houses, listening to an audience, being in pieces that, that really worked and responded. And I was going, this is, this is what makes, makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. And then I became, then I started just becoming very, very curious about people that are in the company and I was in the wings. I was like, what could you do? What could you do? And I just had a moment where I felt satisfied. Yeah. And I was like, it took a bow and I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm really ready to now move on. What kind of influence do you feel like Matthew has on your choreography or do you have influence on him and his choreography? I know people love to ask that. Ask well, that. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. And it's a very good question. Um, I, well, of course, when you know, you live with somebody, you are absolutely going to be influenced by each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that actually, um, I think we've, we, we have quite different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely, um, we definitely talk about it and that's what's really nice. You know, it's not like we don't like, you know, won't talk about it, you know, like for example, now with this piece, he'll be like, Oh, they're using that music. Oh, that's interesting. Is, is that going to work? You know, and you're like, God, I hope so. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then he'll say, Oh, I'm do, you know, I'm going to do this and resetting it there. And I'm going, Oh, is that gonna, are you sure? You know, so he'll be like, not trying to like doubt each other, but right. just kind of going like, are you sure? Really? But what if you did that? And right. then sometimes, uh, we won't say anything at all. Sometimes I'll know a lot about what he's doing, and it'll just come like that. Or we, he'll definitely, I'll definitely go watch like a dress rehearsal, and I'll be like, "Oh, you got to change the shoes." I was going to say, like do that. you give him notes? But it's not. But it's not like it's. It's never like, "Oh, you've messed up the structure," because of course Matthew wouldn't mess up a structure or a, or the dramaturgy. But I might say something about someone's shoes or mm-hmm. something like that, or like, "Oh, I can't hear it." Or, or he'll come to my shows and he'll go like, "The lighting is way too dark. You got to put it up," and I can't hear it. Mm. That's very and helpful. And like very fantastic notes, yeah. actually. Yeah. Or you'll go, well, you might want to think about that. And you go like, oh, that's interesting. But he, it's never done in a way. I mean, he's so encouraging. Mm-hmm. He He's like one of the most, like he loves other choreographers and other choreographers' work. So he's he's really 
it's just a great, uh, just f- fantastic to have someone around. And it's, it is nice to come home and talk about work. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, because we're obsessed, exactly. we're obsessed by it. So, yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. I can't tell you how. Yeah. I, uh, any, uh, anytime I have the chance, I'm always on my soapbox saying, like, we need to stop this shaming of talking about work. We I know. love what we do. We're obsessed exactly. with what we do. And I think, like, uh. you know, if I if I lived with a banker, uh, I right. would hope that that banker would love, you know, dance and want to talk right. about it. <laughs> but it is great to kind of go, you know, to be able to talk. And, like, also because a person, you know, it works for us because that person knows the process you're going through. So he will know now where I am. Like, we're in tech. We're in the middle of it. We know, right. You know, he's coming out. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you sure you want to come? It's right. like, I'm not sure you're going to come all this way. And he's like, no, no, I want to see it, you know. Aww. And the same with him. You know, it'll be exactly the same. Like, I will know when he's, like, madly into it. Mm-hmm. And into and when he's like, we, we talk about it with each other. We go, like, when you're in the mad phase, uh-huh. we, like, talking to him. And I'm going, like, you can't even hear what I'm saying because you've got so much in your head. Right. Your head and yeah. I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take the dog for a walk and you just you do you. Just answer your emails <laughs> and do what you need to do. Yeah. Right. It's funny because I feel like um, the club of choreographers is so small. The the club of dancers is already quite small. And then there's so many, there's so few of you guys. So yeah. to have two of you together who really understands what you're going through in the process, that must just be, it must be helpful. Yeah, it yeah. is helpful. Yeah. It is helpful. I do. And yeah, we've been trying to talk to Matthew for a while. It hasn't worked out. Yeah, we've been, we've been, um, we I know we're going to get it eventually. Are you here? Oh, when do you leave? Uh, we leave Tuesday. <sighs> we're just going to miss him. Yeah, because he's Darn. coming on Thursday. Oh, no. He would have totally done it. Oh, no, yeah, he, he told we've, us we've he would. A, yeah, he's so sweet. And wow. Tell him you did it, and then yeah. we'll have him next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he'd love to do it. He's great. He's a, he's a very good speaker. Yeah, we've so wanting to. Let's talk a little bit about the work you're doing here okay. for the Unbound Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about what kind of parameters were set for you, because sometimes, you know, if someone's commissioning a Swan Lake, you know exactly what you need to do, that you yeah. have this budget, these acts, blah, blah, yeah. blah to fill. But sometimes maybe a director will say, I just want a 30-minute piece, do what you want. Yeah. Which of those, <laughs> where does this fall in that spectrum? Exactly. So I think everybody got the same email. Oh. <laughs> um, no, there was an email saying, uh, Helgi, we'd like you to concentrate on the movement with the dancers and to keep things to a minimal, you know, simple sets and costumes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was it. And, you know, the, it's called Unbound and to just, you know, break, you know, uh, ballet out of its box, mm-hmm. basically, which mm-hmm. is the imagery that we've been seeing in the, in the promotion, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Um, so so that was that was the brief, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think what you're going to see now is 12 pieces of work, not. Not you know like I'm not saying people haven't stuck to that brief because right. there are big sets and they like it's just all out. It's not like they've just done a, like a festival where you get like a black stage, right? And everybody's just doing like very simple costumes. It's absolutely not that. They, this is like twelve productions, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah, right. Because they've just made it happen, you know. Because I think that they, you know, the technical team would have said, "Look, you can't have that." And, you know, they would have right. been very clear. But they're like, right. "Yeah, we can make that work. We can make that work. That will fit in the budget." And it's incredible. I think there's a twelve new pieces. Mm-hmm. Every year, the Dance Magazine Awards bring stunning moments of artistry and poignant speeches from the awardees. This year, on December third. Dance Magazine honors Lourdes Lopez, Crystal Pite, Michael Trusnevik, and Ronald K. Brown, while Misty Copeland will be welcoming the guests. 
In addition, two Harkness Promise Awards and the first ever Leadership Award will be given out as well. For tickets to this uplifting evening, go to dancemagazine.com and click on Dance Magazine Awards. The awards will be held at the Ailey City Group Theater in New York City. So what was the process like for that in terms of like when you talk about speaking with the technical team, you come up with your idea, you come up with your music, and then what's next for you before you hit the studio? Yeah, I like to be very prepared before I go into the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also with a bit of room to to play. Mm-hmm. So with this piece, um, it really started with the music. Mm-hmm. And um, I, um, I was just finishing Salome here and they were saying like, oh, do you know what you're going to do for the festival? Do you think about music? And I've always wanted to make, um, I always wanted to make a piece using music of Bjork. Mm -hmm. That was my, um, and I thought actually this now is the time, you know, because I kept going back to it and I was going, one day, you know, like you come and you listen to a track and you're like, oh, one day, and how would you do that? And what does it mean? You know, and initially um, my big dream was that, you know, that you would have Bjork involved Mm -hmm. Somehow, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but and she had just finished an album, so like, oh, maybe the timing is good. She's just finished an album, and you know, she's kind of like, maybe it's gonna work out. And then I was like, ah, Helgi is Icelandic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, there's a connection. So I'd spoken to my agent about Bjork, and my agent was like, let me just have a little talk to someone in the music business. And the email we got back was like, listen, basically, Bjork gets like. 150 requests today and we're just going to tell you that it's just a no because she you know she's not a big music company mm-hmm. she's not run by that she's her own thing and it's just like it's, it's just too much to control right. and it's she has a small thing that she controls in a big way or it's a big thing that she controls in a big way uh-huh. and um so it's, it's just going to be a no and i was like i was like let me try helgi so i was like helgi look you know do you do you have any connection to bjork and then helgi was like there are two people from Iceland. There is Bjork and there's me. <laughs> he was like, it was so funny. So he was like, leave it with me. We can, I'm going to make contact. So then I'd get an email like, Helgi's now talking to the prime minister of Iceland. Helgi is now in con- talking to Bjork's dad, <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, well, if he's talking to her dad, then it must be, you know, this, right. this is the okay, good. good. Okay. This is good. Cause you know, your dad, right, right. like, you've got to give the right. Yeah. And then, uh, basically, uh, I just got this amazing email saying that Bjork isn't available to collaborate cause she's just started working on a new album herself. Mm-hmm. So I was like, of course, you know, it's just right. going to be totally consumed. And, but Helgi, uh, but Bjork is very happy for you to use. Uh, use her music so I was like wow actually in a way that's great because it means I can just listen to everything and I can sort of like pick and choose from everything and I knew that there was something new coming up as well so that was and then that was really interesting kind of just going through everything I listened to all the albums like a lot and watched a lot of interviews and I just completely got into her universe which was you know a lot of fun for me because I love it you know and I really have to be in love with the music that that I'm going to work with so I know this music so well And uh, and it just started from there. So then it was trying to find a world that 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 all that would fit into. How do you put? How do we visualize that that world, right. that Bjork world? Because if you call something Bjork ballet, what is that? Right. You know. So that so that was 
So then it all started coming out of my head. So cool. I love that. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. So something I want to talk about that I think is particularly interesting about your work Mm. is that you um, are very drawn to narrative, which I think a Mm. lot of contemporary dance choreographers kind of tend to eschew. Mm. But you uh, you dive right in for things as varied as, you know, your take on Shakespeare's Midsummer or Kafka's Metamorphosis. So um, why are you so interested in narrative? What does that bring out of you as a choreographer? I think it's, um, even if it's not particularly narrative, but I'm definitely um, interested in the human being. Mm. And I feel like, um, I was thinking about this the other day, um, because people saying like, well, like with this ballet, like, they're like, oh, is it abstract? And I I wouldn't say it's abstract, Mm -hmm. but I would say that it's, um, I like to call it a dream ballet, because when when I talk about a dream ballet, I'm talking about that there's some kind of like dream logic Mm -hmm. that we understand in an abstract way. But it's still a very human thing. So, for example, um, I don't believe, I personally don't believe if you look at a, a at a painting, a canvas that's been painted blue, that you're just going to look at it for a canvas that's painted blue. You're going to see a sky or maybe the sea or you're going to feel something, but you're right. going to, you can't, you know, we just, I can't understand abstract because mm-hmm. to me it's mm-hmm. something, even in abstract dance, it's still a human being performing abstract mm-hmm. dance. So, they're still a human being, which is not an abstract thing. It's a human right. being. So it's a, it's a very like deep, a deep, thoughtful mm-hmm. uh, process. And I've been thinking about recently that I'd say that this piece in particular has um, a dream logic to it, but that in a way there is a narrative there, but I wouldn't say it's as linear as something as a Midsummer's Dream or the right. Metamorphosis because mm-hmm. we can't pinpoint it. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's there. But right. and even the costumes might be described as something a little bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. But they're not really. They right. are ju- they are just serving this uh, place that right. that we've gone gone to. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm gonna start calling abstract ballets dream ballets because like that. that's what I think <laughs> they are really. I mean, even if you look like something like Symphony in C or something mm-hmm. that I'm like I'm obsessed with. Uh-huh. It is like a dream thing. It's yeah. not you know well, it's you know, not abstract, but people would call it that. One right? of my favorite things because you know Balanchine hated talking about his ballets in that sense. He wanted people mm-hmm. to come up with their own thing or you know just to appreciate the steps exactly. But um, he told John Clifford that that beautiful moment in the second movement, the Adagio, yeah. when the woman is carried low in that mm-hmm. grand jeté moment, um, he said that is the moon passing in the sky. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. exactly. And yeah. someone might see that mm-hmm. exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like uh, you know, because that is not abstract. Mm-hmm. That is that is something. Right. You know. I, I want to go back to the Unbound Festival really quickly. Mm-hmm. I just wonder from a choreographer's perspective, for all 12 of you to be here at the same time, mm-hmm. and when you came in to this interview, Chris Wielden was in here and you guys were chatting. Yeah. What is that like to kind of have the support system of all those choreographers? Because so often it's just, you're the only one, maybe. Exactly, and you're just crossing corridors and right. you haven't got time. I, it's, I, it's been so fantastic. Yeah. I've just been in love with everybody. Everybody's been so, so supportive. Yeah. And encouraging and, you know, like, you know, how are you doing? And have you had enough time? And I've got my tech tomorrow. Then we've got a day off. And then it's like, you know, and it's like, right. and I've got the, you know, it's, it's been so fantastic. Um, and to just sit in the bar and like, you know, have drinks with Annabelle, who's like the best person to have drinks with. Oh, she okay. totally rocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Love her. Maybe we'll convince her to hit the bar with us yeah, after we talk. Uh, after we talk to her, well, uh, she will. Well, she, she, uh, she's fantastic, uh, you know. And she's, you know, everybody's just wearing their hearts on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. I think like everyone's just so open about what they're doing, and I right. think it's great. And I think you got really. Um, 12 different universes going on there, which is great. There's nothing, there's no like competitive something. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're in this, this is our program. And it, it feels like these little teams as well. Yeah. Even with the dancers, there's like team A, team B, team C. <laughs> and then like there's program A, program B, program C and yeah. D. And it's like these little teams where everybody's really curious about each other mm-hmm. and also really kind of like supportive right. in their own little clubs, which right. I think is great. So fun. The yeah. atmosphere here right now is just so fun. We feel yeah. it. Yeah. Rebecca and I were saying earlier that uh we were expecting maybe some sort of more frenzied atmosphere Panic. but everyone yeah. just seems excited yeah, yeah. i think it's just exciting and also mm. be- because it is called unbound and you know sort of hail hail helgi for doing it because you know he uh he's just the title has just kind of given you uh license to to step out of something yeah. that you wouldn't normally do, which is certainly what what I wanted to do, right. which is you know talk about narrative, and I was going like, actually, that's the thing not to do. I wanted to find something where I wanted to be right. liberated, yeah. right? Which has happened through the music. So fun. Yeah. Well, this brings us to our final little section of our interview called our lightning round. Okay. We're going to ask you just a couple questions, and you can tell us the first thing that comes to mind. So, what is the narrative that you would most like to recreate on stage? <gasps> there's so many so name give, give, give us, us a, few. a few yeah we it's it's a oh, cheat you don't have to name one yeah oh my god um, there's no real rules here <laughs> there was one i was thinking of the other day but i thought that would be so difficult um well i'm doing something similar to it but i really love rosemary's baby oh, wow. <laughs> wow but i don't quite know how you would you know do it well no you can do it you could do it you could do it uh but that that's sort of that sort of thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. um uh yeah there's a lot there's a lot of things out there that i that i love and i go oh because i I think about that every day literally literally i'm like would that make a good thing would that do a good thing you know yeah gotta keep Uh, the inspiration flowing always yeah yeah always and now because narratives connect to people Mm -hmm. and then especially if there's a narrative that people no, the mm-hmm. title. Like I just did, uh, it's been going for a few Christmas now, but we did, uh, I do a production of The Little Match Girl. Mm-hmm. And because people know that title, right. it's like it works and the yeah. people yeah. come. Right. So when you can find ones like that, yeah, which you go, oh, there aren't many dance productions of The but Little Match Girl, right. then you really feel quite lucky that uh-huh. the gods put plants that little seed in your head. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what is a dream production you would like to mount on San Francisco Ballet? I feel like all those dreams are coming true. It's really, <laughs> honestly, to be honest, because they really do make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I feel like I've lived that, like with this piece now, with just just visually what we, you know, what it looks like. And when I did Salome, and it's really interesting. It's a little bit like, you know, there's a little um, story about Fellini and Fellini talks about how he has... Um, Initially, you have an idea and it's like a little dream in your head and it's really beautiful and it's very private and, you know, you can see it so clearly. Mm. And then you started to go into the process to create it and, you know, someone writes a script and then someone starts to, you cast it and and more and more it goes away from that dream and it just becomes nothing like that vision at all. And you feel really disappointed. And then he says, and then 
you get on set and then it's like someone will like shoot a little puff of smoke and then someone will like sprinkle a little glitter on someone's eyes and someone will, you know, do something. And he's like, and then you just like take maybe the, the sleeve and lower the sleeve and or something. And then that dream starts to become exactly like you imagined. Oh, that's interesting. Which is really lovely. So I mm. feel like with San Francisco Ballet, I feel like I have that little Fellini dream. Because mm. when we did Salome, I was like, I had this vision. And I was like, oh, we're never gonna, it's never gonna feel and sound and look and what you want be like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we got there in the end, and I was like, wow, that has even gone beyond. Like, I can't believe that they mm -hmm. made those confetti cannons, for example, work <laughs> like that. Uh -huh. And that we managed to get like a limousine on the stage, mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff. Just like give that. you creative That's license. Nice. Yeah. Great. So, uh, so I feel like the dreams are happening here. So, there's, yeah. <laughs> Favorite place to visit when you're in San Francisco? I really love um, Dolores Park. <laughs> oh, it's the best. It's so great. I love Dolores Park. Especially when the weather is yeah. beautiful. Like the weather is beautiful. Like and today like, when yeah. we're in a dark room. <laughs> yeah. But no. <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, on a Sunday mm. and there's like, you know, uh, just it's just got a fantastic kind of like uh, some modern hippie vibe that you kind of dream about, you know, coming to San Francisco and that view of the city and just where it is. And there's, you know, like on that, um, that amazing bakery shop, what's it called? Um, which is just down from from Dolores Park. You should know this one, Michael. Bakery? You mean by right? No, no. Like not the ice cream. No, they have baked goods there. But <laughs> like, um, uh, there's tartine. Which tartine. Is, yeah. Tartine. Tartine's good. great. And there's always a queue. Mm -hmm. So I've always gone, oh, okay, whatever. And then the other day, there was like no queue. And my friend was like, this is unbelievable. Like It was like a, like a weird time, like 4.23 in the afternoon or something. I went when I first got into it around that time. And there was it was amazing because I've never gone. Yeah. And it was just so delicious. I bought a piece of cake and I bought a coffee and we went to the park and it, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. I got to go there. Sounds yeah. fun. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. We really appreciate thank it. You. Pleasure. It was great speaking with yeah. you. <laughs> thank you for joining us this week. We are excited to announce that you can now listen to Conversations on Dance on Spotify, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or through our website at conversationsondancepod.com. Subscribe now to receive notifications of new episodes. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Conversations on Dance. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.